0: Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. What's happening guys, welcome back to another show uh, Before we get into the show, I just want to say If you're enjoying the podcast, please do leave a review uh, Wherever you listen to the podcast or pick it up I uh, really would appreciate it, it really doesn't matter a lot And also, just want to say quickly A big welcome to Renegade Soccer out in uh, Texas, in America uh, Welcome them to the My Personal Football Coach Club Partnership Uh, great to have another big club on board from america obviously the uh, my personal football coach club partnership is unique nothing else like it in the world Uh, obviously all your players get access to the app it's branded with your club logo you can check the usage set the players challenges there's new videos every week uh, hundreds and hundreds of technical challenges on there and all your coaches also get access to the my personal Football coach coaches pass the online resource with hundreds of drills and uh, tutorials and obviously weekly uh, video sessions from some of the best academies in world soccer and they get that absolutely for free and it also it's the most eco- economical one as well uh, I guarantee you that this uh, no one's gonna beat us on price so we really try and make it affordable for everybody and it's the only one trusted by Premier League academies such as Arsenal, Wolves, Middlesbrough, West Brom, Birmingham many many more and obviously grassroots clubs all around the world so if you're interested in taking your club your players uh, to the next level uh, drop me a DM and we can set you up a free demo um, but now back into our guest this week, our top top guest, someone uh, who is really making waves in women's football out in America is Freya Coombe Freya is now head coach of Angel City FC, uh, the new franchise expansion club uh, out in America, based in LA. Um, so Frey's got a really interesting and inspiring journey, started a coaching journey in England, worked for the FA, did grassroots coaching, worked around Oxfordshire, and worked at Reading in the girls' program, then decided to move to America where she worked in grassroots uh, soccer. Then got a big opportunity, a big break at um, Sky Blues, which is now called Gotham FC, the women's pro team. Uh, Interesting story. It's really, really interesting, actually. And then did really well there. And now she's been getting this big break now to manage this huge new expansion team, which uh, the owners include Natalie Portman. So really interesting project and someone who's got a lot of gold and knowledge to share. Uh, Obviously, the top coach who's now top of her game and top of the women's coaching game. Uh, so a real inspiring journey, uh, one I know you're going to enjoy. and am really uh, privileged that she, she agreed to come on the show and, and share a story. So without further ado, let's get into the show. So Freya Coon, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. It's good to be here. Uh, can you just give us a brief outline of your playing and coaching journey up to this point, please?
1: Yeah, so um, playing wise I was obviously playing in England um, for a long time, never really went and did the overseas college thing in America. I wanted to, but I was a little bit old and didn't have a lot of access. This is like kind of pre-internet days of doing a Google search and finding out a place to go. Um, So I played in England, um, unfortunately tore my ACL when I was about 19. So that limited my opportunities to really sort of play up the coaching um, pyramid so the uh, pl- playing pyramid. So big thing for me was just getting into coaching from an early, early age. Um, I actually got into coaching working at Port Vale when I was um, at university. We had to take a coaching badge as part of my course. Um, so I did my level one and then went and worked for Port Vale football in the community, um, which was a great experience for me. And then managed to get a job with the FA when I finished sc- uh, college. And then started working for Reading. And I think at Reading Football Club, that was really where I found my sort of passion and, um, and also where I really got into it. And, you know, in that professional pathway that they had. So I worked with, with Reading for about eight years, playing on the side, um, started to play with other clubs, but then joined Reading towards the end of my career when I was sort of in my early 30s. But working with the coaches at Reading with Kelly, um, Phil and the others that are there was was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, being able to work with their development team and with their sort of U17s at the time, that was that was a great experience for me and I think set me up for this future then I moved over to the U.S. I knew I wanted to live abroad and, and try something different. So I moved away from Reading and, and came over here and started again coaching grassroots. Um, but knowing that I wanted to get back into working at a good level. So worked in Connecticut for a grassroots club, um, then got a job in New York with an academy and then was able to get into professional coaching with uh, it was Sky Blue at the time, then became Gotham and then now Angel City. Um, So big thing for me at at that time was I did my uh, B license over here and um, there's a coach on the course and he was one of the instructors and he was, you know, what do you want to do? You know, you're a a talented coach. What's your career pathway look like? And, you know, I expressed to him the desire to want to get back in the pro game. So he said to me, where's your nearest pro team? I said, sky blue. He's like, right, you need to go in there and, and do some observations and get your face known. So. I went into Sky Blue and unfortunately at the time they'd just um, sacked their coaching staff. So there was the goalkeeper coach was left and he was the only coaching staff member left. So I went in to observe and on the very first morning he was like, oh, can you help out with one of the drills? So I was like, OK, yeah, I can do that. And then at the end of the session, they were like, can you come back in tomorrow and and help out and uh, run a session? So I was like, OK. And then that night they said, oh, can you come to Portland? We're playing in Portland um this weekend and we could do with an extra pair of hands so I was like yeah so I flew into Portland on the Friday morning was there and I was like I don't, I, you know what, what do you need me to do and they were like oh can you can you work out how we're going to beat Portland I was like okay cool <laughs> like I'd watch the games on the flight I was like I think we should do this and this is a good way of going and uh, we managed to get a draw in Portland which was huge for us at the time um I flew back and heard nothing of it and then two weeks later I got a call and I was like actually can you come back in on a regular basis?" And from then I got the interim job, which was not a usual pathway into the game. Yeah, but I guess it's amazing. that experience from reading and then um,
0: yeah,
1: and then going into it, you know, being prepared to go in and take a session.
0: Quite amazing. So we we known each other for quite a long time, quite a few years. So I've known that backstory. It's quite an amazing story. So yeah, you know, you just you've gone in there to observe, and you end up getting the getting the head coach's job. And I suppose it's just, you know, like the old thing about talent and opportunity, right? You just have the opportunity and then, you know, as long as you've got the, the necessary talent to do it, you can take take it with both hands. Quite interesting. Let's just wind back then. Talk about, about time at time Reading. What were you doing at, what were you doing at Reading in terms, of, in terms of coaching?
1: Yeah, so I actually came in as, um, I was done a sports psychology master. So I actually came in as like a sports psychology consultant at the time, just to help out with some of the young players that were in and around like the youth England team um and I'd done my coaching badges too so I I came in and started to work with I think it was like eight of their elite players that were showing promise in their academy and then um so enjoyed that part and getting to know the coaches and then I got an age group so then I worked um so I was working with the U17s And then that was the time when they were restructuring all the centres of excellence and things. So um, I had my B licence, so I was the technical director at the time for the academy, and then took the reserve team. So it it was great sort of, you know, seeing the players come through and develop and working with Kelly really closely to have that pathway from the academy. Then they went into the JMA and the school programme, and then they came into the women's side. And then I had my hands on on the development team as well before they came in. And Kelly, and it was Jane Ludd, at the time we were managing the, the first team so I was kind of helping with some of that talent coming through and coaching the development team and the U17s.
0: Tell us about your, your coaching philosophy at that time what is that how did that how did you create that you know how did you see the game what sort of football were you playing what sort of sessions were you putting on where that come from? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so Reading had a, a great curriculum. So they had a very distinct style of play that they wanted. They wanted players to be on the ball. They wanted a lot of possession. Um, so a lot of that was set by the club, but it was one that I really shared in terms of a playing and philosophy. And I, I still carry it with me in terms of, you know, how that shaped the possession style that I like to play. Um, but, you know, that that was really great. And then the big thing for me was with my personality. And I think having that sort of teaching background as well um, was, you know, being able to provide a framework for the players, but giving them a lot of autonomy, a lot of choice to go out there and express themselves. I was never a coach that's yelling a lot on the sidelines. It was more around, OK, bring yourselves in now. Let's talk about it. You know, let's try and problem solve what you're, you're facing, but very much to giving them the freedom to go out and play um and you know it was it was a really great time for me and a really important stage in shaping my coaching career
0: did you have any much chance to like see what they were doing in the boys academy the men's academy only reason I'm asking obviously because Reading have such an amazing prolific uh track record in the men's side of the game and like like, always overachieving was there was there a close relationship between those the girls and the boys program
1: yeah, really close. So um, at the time, Lee Heron was head of community, um, but he was overseeing a lot of um, and seeing what was going on in the boys academy. And then he was involved in the women's team as well at the time. So he was making sure that there was good crossover. And then we had some really great coaches um, there that were you know, taking an academy age group with the boys and then were also working with the women um so that was really great to have you know those coaches that were sharing those practices so um Chris and Phil Cousins and those guys so it was yeah I was learning a lot from them and then you had people like Eamon Dolan who was so approachable such a nice guy you know really really great and always always willing if you ever saw him to share and to sit down and talk so that was really brilliant a brilliant experience for me.
0: So talk about a little bit about then your decision to go to America I mean, so you've gone from quite like a senior role in the, in know, get celebration program. You're going to go and work in, you know, do some of that grassroots stuff like what I, what I did as well. So lots of time in the grass? Talk about that decision and what was the main challenges and differences you, you experienced in those first few weeks or months coaching there?
1: Yeah so um, I just got that itch to go and do something um, different and I wanted to live abroad and for me America was a great place just because of how sport was valued here the opportunity for women to be involved in sport and treated you know at a high level and then you know have that whole experience of just doing something different so I thought I'd come back at some point to England but you know, I moved over and I had a great time right from the get go. I, I felt at home here, which was cool. Um, but I think some of the big differences, you know, I'd come from an academy and then I was working in grassroots. So obviously, the level of play was was a little bit of a shock. Just you know, at the <laughs> town and the club I was in, um, but also just getting used to the structure of it. You know, where the academy you'd play one game in a weekend um and then you come over here and it's like three or four games at times and it, it's it's a little bit crazy I was like how can they play at their best and then play again and then play again mm. um but I got used to that in terms of some of the culture and like going to tournaments and they're just playing all the time um
0: what about, what about the difference in like the football culture obviously experience at Port Vale and the work in the FA and the Reading program because obviously I've, I've, I've worked there on the East Coast particularly like you know women's football's be more um, popular than men's football there what was that what was the, what was, the what was the general football culture like and the women's game like and, and when you you know all those sorts of things you, you noticed.
1: Yeah, I think the women's game. You know, obviously everyone's behind the U.S. women's national team here, and you know they've been hugely successful and popular. Um, So you know, there's there's that good culture there around um, following the women's team. I think club football was pretty similar to England in terms of not a not a huge following in in the local area, but I think that's that's changed dramatically now in both countries, which is awesome. Um, But I think that you know the style was slightly different in terms of. You know how the game was played. Um, obviously, you know the the American game is is very athletic, and the players are like amazing athletes. Um, and just the training mentality was very different in terms of how hard the players worked and how hard they trained. Um, even just participating at a grassroots level. Um, so that that was really interesting to see. That I think the training and competitive mentality over here is is insanely good. Um, so that that was good to see and just how you know, people were so dedicated and the number of times in the, the week as well that they trained was, was huge. So, you know, we'd train three, four times a week with games at the weekends and that was that was definitely more than they were training in England at the time.
0: And then tell us something about, so then you, you go into this amazing opportunity at Sky Blue. Um, so how did you beat Portland? How did that go? How did, what, was your, what was that like and having to try and set a team up to, you know, you've gone, you know, obviously you worked at Redden, so you worked with like, those players on the elite pathway before. Now you're at the highest level of, of that of the game. And so what was what was that like? What were the main challenges? What were, those, what were those things, experiences, those takeaways from this, that first game?
1: Yeah, the first game was, was kind of crazy because Portland um, was the team where, you know, the crowds are absolutely massive. The stadium's brilliant. So I yeah. walked out and it was the first game after the players had returned from the World Cup. Cup. So, um, we had Rocky Rodriguez, who had been playing with, um, she'd been away internationally with Costa Rica, and then was there, and she was kind of walked in and was like, hi, who are you? But, you know, we didn't have some of our US team stars yet in, the, in that game, but... Portland were a, a great side that was sitting at the top of the league. We were unfortunately sitting at the, you know, the bottom of the league. So it was quite a golf. So it was a bit of a park the bus moment. Um, so, you know, be defensively super compact and not try and give anything away. Um, and, you know, to be fair, we got a lot of <laughs> a lot of shots against us, in especially in the first half. But then we stayed with it and we'd done some passing patterns the day before and some crossing and finishing. And um, fortunately for us, it, it paid off and that was how we got our goal so it was one way where we thought we could beat them and it was a great finish. I remember it well it was Amani Dorsey finished it um from the edge of the box it was brilliant but yeah that, so you that
0: got the was one a- nil. so you got the 1-0 victory then
1: no 1-1 one, one. they'd they'd oh, scored one, on one. Us. Take that. yeah we took. yeah it felt like away. a victory we all left uh wow. incredibly happy about it um But no, it was very much around. We knew that they were strong. It was just be defensively really compact and see if we can nick anything at the end of the game, which which we did, um, nicked a point. But it was kind of crazy when they all came back from like international duty and Carly's like, uh, you know, who who are you? I was like, I am your new coach. You know, you (laughs) don't know who I am or anything, but don't worry about that. It's fine.
0: So, who? So tell us who were some of the names you had on the team, then some of those big players you had come
1: back yeah so Carly Lloyd was was a big yeah. one for us um, mm-hmm. she came back from the World Cup and worked with her until the end of the season um, and then you know subsequent years but so she was a big one Rocky Rodriguez uh, playing for Costa Rica Estelle Johnson who's um she plays now for Cameroon as well as uh, st- she's still at Gotham um, so we had some big players that were really
0: fun to work with so then tell us then tell us and then say so, <clears throat> excuse me get through that first game so then telling me about like, you know, your average sort of working weeks. And because I'm interested like that, you know, that that transition, you, you got your you're working the grassroots three or four times a week and you're in a, into like headfirst into a full-time program with you know some of the top players in in world soccer. So what's uh you know, what what were the main challenges and what you what you're delivering and what, what are those, you know, give us some of those details of what was going on on the grass there.
1: Yeah. At that time it was really <clears throat> tough. So we, we didn't try and over deliver with anything, you know, we had to strip it right back. We had, we didn't have a lot of staff to finish off that season. And uh, you know, we had pretty much six weeks left, um, so it wasn't worth bringing in the whole team and recruiting again because the season was going to end. So, you know, we just stripped it back and did what we could. So, you know, between myself and the goalkeeping coach, we were cutting all the film, doing all the sessions, um, making sure the players were prepared, coming up with a game plan. And it, it's quite a stark difference to where I'm at now, where we have, you know, our analyst and we have a team of coaches and we have, you know, a football conditioning coach and our head of sports science, and we have all these different people. So But I think, you know, at that time, it was just a case of let's strip it back. Let's deliver the basics really, really well um, and get through. And then obviously at Gotham, we invested in in more staff. But the week's busy. You know, you're looking at we typically train four days leading leading up to a game and then have recovery day, day off um, where we're looking at getting the analysis done. Um, the players are in typically anything from forty-five minutes session to hour and a half session, uh, depending on the day of the week, and then they have to stay and do their own work in terms of you know some of their recovery treatment you know rehab work uh gym work so their days were a little bit longer um but it was yeah it was quite a different experience from you know sometimes when you run into a youth training session and it's like okay what am I going to do today and you can just pull a session from the back of your mind but uh you know at that grassroots level and then suddenly you're coming into this professional level and it's like hours over the details in, in the sessions so the preparation was was quite different
0: then tell us about then obviously so you do last six weeks i suppose just trying to firefight and get you through to the end of the season and then to so tell us about this next season what was that like then you know in terms of prepping you know your pre-season what did you you know how did you go into the season what what sort of what, what was your ambitions in terms of how did you want the girls to play and that sort of thing
1: yeah. So then, you know, we managed to get new goalkeeping coach in, new um, assistant coaches that were coming in and working. And we did a week of preseason and then COVID hit and we got shut down. So we came in with all these ideas and all this game plan. And then it was like, right, you're being shut down. And then we were back on Zoom and trying to deliver, you know, film and looking at our principles and how we want to play, um, delivering that to the players on, on Zoom calls and things and trying to establish that style. Um, so that was like completely interesting. Then we got called in and it was like, right, we're going to have a preseason tournament uh, or we're going to have a tournament that's going to replace the season. It's going to be in Utah. It's going to be a month long. So you got to prepare for that. Um, so we had, I think, four weeks lead in to prepare for that. And then so that was kind of weird because it was like, right, I've got this new team, this new way of playing, I've got new players in you've got four weeks and then you're going to be on national TV and having these games in this, in this, in this bubble. So that was like a whirlwind and trying to get a lot right. And we saw a good progression between each of the games when we were in Utah, but the schedule obviously was really, really tight. So you're playing every three and four days. So the players didn't really have a ton of recovery or a ton of time to have actual training sessions to implement new things between the, between the games um and then we all came out of that had a I think a couple of weeks off and then we had a full series which was like a mini season so it was really only until like last year with Gotham that it was like right we've got a proper season and we've got a new team and we can actually get going um and and then okay. I changed clubs in the middle of it
0: <laughs> well then tell, us, tell us about that then last seasoning, just before we get into the Angel City and you know and the, all the Hollywood buzz over there in L.A. Just um, to just say about that golf then so, I miss you because it's like I said, you know, what was that like? Must be nice exciting, but what are the main challenges going into like a new season? So right now you've got the, got the team, you know, you got your time. Uh, obviously, you know, fingers crossed, nice, you no know, COVID related. Had What was your vision of how did you want them to play? I mean, what was, you know, give us like, an idea of like, you know, for, what formation were you going to play? What was your, you know, you know, say game model? But you know What was what sort of like, the ideas about what was, what was your sort of intention to how did you want to compose yourself, your style of play on the, on the team and on the league?
1: Yeah, so for the most part, we played a 4-3-3, but we had some teams in the league that played um, a slightly different system. So we had to adapt um, to try and meet it. You know, Portland were very successful last year playing a 4-4-2 diamond um, and North Carolina play like a 4-2-2-2, like the old Brazilian style. So we had slight changes when we played against those guys uh, in terms of our formation. Sometimes we went in a four four two diamond um diamond to try and match up more directly. And, and then we also went in a 3-5-2. Um, at times just to try and get that those matchups and the overloads in different places. Um, but for the most part, you know, we want to be able to be a team that builds out the back. We want to be able to progress through the lines um, and, you know, and play a very progressive possession style of, of play. Um, and then, you know, be able to penetrate through teams, you know, centrally rather than relying on going over or out wide in order to beat them. And, you know, defensive compactness was huge and we did a great job. Um with the team of being able to to stop goals going in and, and to be defensively hard to break down and hard to beat. Um, so that, that was a great experience and, you know, was really proud of how the team played and played in an attractive style.
0: Can you, can you give us an idea, like, for example, what, what, what would be a typical week? So Monday, you know, you talked about one hour, 30 minutes forward, what, what would you be working on? What would be, what would be the topics? How would you break it up? How do you utilize your, your, your teams, your, your, your members of staff and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, so um, typically after playing in the weekend, we'd come in on a Tuesday and it'd be like a standard re-entry day. We'd do a lot of possession, um, a lot of passing, just getting the touches on the ball and, you know, opportunities. Um, Wouldn't do a whole ton of shooting or or stuff to a big goal on the first day with it being re-entry. Just wanted to look after any lingering, you know, hamstring, quad soreness going into it and just making sure that the players had, you know, a, a moderate day. Then typically Wednesday was a bit more intense, play a lot more small, smaller-sided stuff, usually a 5v5 tournament to end training. Um, and, you know, working on, you know, a lot of our intense possession, but making sure that that session was longer and at more of a higher level um, of intensity. Then typically Thursday, 11v11, 11 11, tactical day, looking at sort of preparing for the opposition. And then Friday, game day minus one, short, sharp, have the players in for a very short period of time, just getting them, you know, that level where they just want to, they feel prepared for the game um, and activated, but nothing overtired. And then going into a game on, on a Saturday. So, you know, really had great staff that were able to lead part of the session, specialists in possession. Um, Then we had, you know, our set pieces that we wanted to work on that our goalkeeping coach led. Um, which was great. And then, you know, our sports scientist was able to man- monitor the load and report back, giving us the reports on the day and making sure we we're hitting the targets that we needed to, or just noticing anything from the data that might highlight a player being a bit more susceptible to injury based on the, the, the load that they've either had or not had, you know, making sure that we're getting enough high-speed running and sprinting in to prepare their hamstrings ready for the games. Um, especially when we did a lot of work in, in smaller spaces so looking at any supplemental runs or training that they needed to do to make sure that they were physically prepared um, as well. So what was
0: your so what was your coaching team then just that got from there last, that last season before you left?
1: Yeah, so I had a goalkeeper coach, um, two assistant coaches, uh, a sports scientist, and then we had a athletic trainer and a, and a physical therapist that worked with the group um and then we had some play, um some volunteer analysts that came in and and helped us out from time to time which was really useful for them to be able to you know cut film and code film at, at the the moment you know and turn that around a little bit quicker and then yeah now it's now it's, it's a much bigger team it's pretty pretty huge save
0: that for save that for a bit we'll go on for that minute just what were there, were there any challenges in terms of like now because obviously you know i'm just thinking and also assuming Reddin obviously it's a tighter budget as well. And they've gone to having you've got quite a big staff there. What are the challenges in terms of managing them and utilising them and making sure you, know, you get the best out of these guys?
1: Yeah, I think it is. uh, It's definitely challenging um, in terms of you know you know that coming into football, it's it's full time job and some you know in terms of you know I think coming from my background, it's like oh let's make sure everyone's rested and let's feel good about ourselves and you know no one's you know mentally fried from work and or burnt out, but you know coming into the season that that's kind of part and parcel of football sometimes so that part was hard and just knowing that everyone's working 24-7 but always trying to you know try and get some joy out of it but you know there was a team I I know that I brought in well, people that were very very good at their job so it was basically trusting them and giving them the autonomy to to deliver and if things weren't going right then we would come in and talk about it but for the most part it's giving those coaches the autonomy to deliver and, tr- and trust in them and trust in their work.
0: And um, I'm in person again, you know, doing tournaments abroad and there might be a couple of hundred people watching something like that. How does that feel when you're in you know, a stadium and you've got, you know, all those, all those people there and the pressure's on, you've got to make the decisions. How is, how is that acclimatising to that sort of in-game pressure situation? I mean, I assume it's a lot more challenging when you've got, you know, all those bodies in the stands as well
1: yeah um it's it's fun to be honest you know we've definitely when you've got a big crowd in you feel it and you can see that the players are up for it um a little bit more but you know there's pressure but I think there's pressure we got you know whether there's one person there or you know 10,000 people there because I think nowadays you know people on Twitter are, <laughs> are going to get to you anyway so there's always hmm. pressure.
0: <laughs> Interesting so let's, let's talk about then it's like oh, sorry I ironic, ironic. you were you're based in the East Coast. And now you've gone out to the West Coast, to Angel City see. And obviously, ironically, now you just pop back to New York while we're chatting to you. But tell us about the Angel City then, this, this new club in, in L.A. Tell us how that came about and a little bit about the background. It's quite a unique sort of project going on there as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so um, they're an expansion team. So the league added two more new teams to the league this year. So taking us up to 12 teams. And Angel City was, you know, a club that we'd heard a lot about, um, had a very strong sort of online presence and marketing and had a very strong message, even from the get-go in terms of the creation of the team, how they were going about doing things differently, whether it was from, you know, the investment structure that they had, it was more replicated of a a startup like California Company, um, rather than sort of how usually it goes around with a football club, just having one owner and investor. So, you know, you've got tons of investors that are all investing in this club and, you know, the club's looking to change the landscape. And, you know, I was sat watching it from afar and being like, well, that's a great, you know, great project, a really interesting project to be in, um, to see, and it's going to be amazing for the league. And then my GM called me and said, you know, Angel City have asked to interview you, you know, is that something that you'd want to do? Um, So I was like, you know, I, I didn't interview for the Gotham job um, in terms of, you know, coming in as interim and that whole process. I was like, I've never really interviewed for a, a pro job. So I was like, I'd like that opportunity to, to do it. Um, so I interviewed and then, you know, they offered me the job and it, that was like, I didn't think it was something that was going to happen. So that was, that was really excited. And to be honest, like I just, with what they were doing, I knew it was something that I wanted to be a part of a big thing for me was the amount that they're doing in the community and how they're really establishing and it ever invested in heavily in their community, not only as, you know, to make the community fans, but also in terms of raising the standards in the community, um, and being on point with the message. Um, so you know, that was a really interesting part for me. And, you know, I I accepted the role.
0: Wow. What was what was the interview like? I mean, just as like, you know, just, you know, was it? Yeah. What was that process? And how and how intense and how challenging was that?
1: Yeah, so the, the first round was I presented to the sporting director and the head of performance um, in terms of how I wanted us to, to play, um, which would be to, who would be some of the key players I'd look to bring in, um, the playing style, how I would work tactically um, to change situations within games and different scenarios, who would be my match day team, how I'd want us to, uh, to train, um, And sort of went through all of that and then that you know went well so then the second round i had was with the ceo um and she came on the call as well and then had a a subsequent round of interviews that was more about sort of myself my growth um what, what i wanted to do with the club how i fit fitted in with the the values of the club um, so yeah that was it was great it was sort of a two-part process but I was also really live interviewing all the time because my season with Gotham was still going on so when I had the calls and the contact with the sporting director or with the um, head of performance you know they were referencing the games and things that were happening at the time so I felt like that was also part of the interview Is you know they were mm-hmm. observing how I was on the sidelines and seeing the changes I made in my games at the time um, so yeah I think that was all taken into account.
0: Count. interesting so then it's quite interesting isn't it because you've gone from you know just being thrown in a deep end you've got a seashell for a season then you you know all those things and now it's suddenly a club where you're starting from scratch aren't you really so I assume so I mean in terms of what what point did you go in how much of the squad have you you know been able to bring in and have an effect on and you know and that sort of thing when, when that when you first went in there
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, my recruitment, I was still at Gotham for a period of time. So they were already recruiting players um, and building the team while I was still at Gotham. And then I stepped away from Gotham, but didn't start with Angel City. So there was a bit of a break in between. So a lot of the recruitment process had sort of the foundation had been done. So I really came in for looking at the players within the league and the expansion draft um, and working with the sporting director. Uh, But the sporting director is very much in, in charge of, of recruitment um and sort of bringing the players in so a lot of that had been done either already or you know it fits under her remit so my job is really to to coach the players that are there
0: and so tell us about then you know your first few sessions what were the what were the main differences the contrasts and the well, the similarities to what you're doing at Gotham and the environment and things like that
1: yeah so the very first session you know we had some of the owners and uh of the club there so that was kind of weird and it's like I'm coaching a session and Natalie Portman's watching me Um <laughs> yeah. so that was uh that was definitely a little bit weird um and different from Gotham but in terms of you know how we set the the sessions up and the structure there's a lot of similarities because that reflects who I am as a coach and my coaching philosophy and how I want the game to be played so a lot of that structure is similar but obviously the personalities are very different and I'm introduced the players to a new way of playing Um, you know especially with the way that we had the expansion team and having an expansion draft so you pick up players from all all the other clubs within the league so everyone's coming from a different style of play Um, and you know where they've been playing for you know some of them for 10 years at the same club or others that maybe have been there a few years but now you're bringing them in and it's like right trying to adjust um, and bring them into how we want to play which obviously takes a lot of time but it was kind of like trying to think at times where it was like, OK, this is what I do at Gotham and it's this successful. And then bringing it in and then you realise that, oh, actually, the players have never played this way <laughs> before. And it's like, OK, yeah. let's take it back a little bit. Um, but, you know, we've seen great progression with them and it, it's been good.
0: So how far into the season were you when you started?
1: So I, I took over, obviously, with Angel City, we're first day of pre-season, we're there and, and have those All Right. Players. OK, you're in the first day of pre-season. Um, yeah, so been training them um, since since the start, since the first time we were allowed to kick a ball together.
0: Interesting. so then? So then you go you go in and, and what was the? I mean, what was it? Were there any challenges in terms of the? I mean, or, I mean, what are the what, what are the main differences? I mean, working with those those big players in that new environment, trying to get them to, to maybe play a different way to to what to way they've been used to playing. Were there I mean, what, any challenges around that? I mean, taking to spend a little bit more time on certain things or that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, trying to rec- recreate some of those conditions. So a lot of uh- work like doing a lot of possession work um bringing the area size in so it's a little bit tighter a little bit faster um and you know that was different for some players other players loved it and were able to just get going because they'd done a lot of that previously or you know were a bit more used to it either in their club or with the national team um so yeah it was just kind of bringing them in together and trying to get that exposure um and trying to get you know that progression of how we want to play throughout the weeks but just finished up with week eight so so we're still quite new into the process
0: so week of pre-season yeah and uh, so then you're on, you're, so, you're on a, so you're on a little tour at the moment or you're on just time off or what
1: yeah so um we've just finished we've played four games of the challenge cup which is um a, like a cup tournament here which we're using as pre-season um in order to get our, our squad together ready for the start of the regular season which is april 29th for us so we've just played three games in a week so we've given our, our players a little bit of time off um, we've got a break in the fixtures so you know they can re- recover and regenerate get some personal time and then we're bringing them back in this weekend to to train again
0: and then when does the season start april 29th. april 29 So what what are the what are the hopes and ambitions for for the angel city fc in this first you know normal season i think they call it right
1: Yeah. So, you know, we've said that we wanted to try and make playoffs and be an expansion team that, you know, has success. Typically, expansion teams finish bottom of the league um, just in historically because of the struggle and how hard it is to be an expansion team, bringing team, bringing players in, um, trying to mould them and and. You know have success and the league is so competitive. Um it's crazy. Like in this league anyone can take points off anyone and it's it's an amazing league for that basis. Um, so you know we've said we wanted to try and make playoffs, which is the top half of the of the table. Um, but you know we, we appreciate that we've got a lot a long way to go. But that was that was uh, you know our aim from the from the get-go. But I think if we're looking at April 29th, we play North Carolina at home um we've got a 22,000 capacity stadium at the bank of california where lafc play and you know for us we want to sell that out and we want to be able to put on a good 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 performance and be able to get something out of the game
0: and what about youth? tell us about youth obviously your background in you know young players and stuff what's it like i mean is your aspiration to you know play young players bring young players through does does the club have an academy i mean is it planning to what's that situation
1: yeah, so we don't have an academy at the moment. Um, and that I think that's something that we would like to branch into and, and do um, in, down the line. Um, but it's the system's kind of a bit strange over here because you don't really get rewarded for bringing in players. There's no homegrown rule or anything. So all the players that come in that have been at school have to go through the college draft. So you could spend you know years developing a player and then they have to go through the draft and then only for someone else to pick them up. Um, right. So I think until those rules change... It's really hard to have that investment into, you know, a ton of players until they can bring in that those rules. You know, we've seen it with other clubs that have had players, you know, there's a player at Portland um, who's come through their academy, but she's had to go to court and to fight to be able to play for their first team. Um, wow. And she's, she's a young player and under the age of 18. So for her to come in and play, it had to go to court, unfortunately.
0: Wow. What about, I mean, generally, I mean, getting young players in who you've just, you know, recruited for the draft, What's that like? And, you know, in terms of the challenges, you know, that old adage, you know, younger players make more mistakes, whatever. I mean, have you experienced that or are you, are you sort of standing by youth? I mean, how do you balance that out?
1: Yeah, so I think they could come from the draft at different levels. I think you see some players that come out of the draft um, that are ready to go right out the gate in terms of day one, and they're prepared. And then you see other players that need a little bit more time. That they still have talent, but whether it's adjusting to you know the speed of the game or just you know their fitness to be able to play for you know extended periods of time, and then the speed of decision making when they get fatigued and the type of decision that they're making under fatigue. So that's usually some of the the mistakes that you see from from the younger players coming in. Um, You know, the cottage game over here, depending on which team they're in, they could be playing 90 minutes or, you know, they could be playing 20-minute intervals and then they get a line change and then it's like another 20-minute interval in the second half. So, you know, they come from that environment then they come in and it's suddenly like, right, you've got 90 minutes at the the highest level that you've ever played at Um, and, you know, asking them to cope with it. So you often see that little bit of a change and they get a bit more into it as the season goes on.
0: And tell us a bit about off the field coaching. How and that is. I mean, we talked about your busy week now, and I imagine that's very intense. What, what sort of stuff you do away from the grass?
1: So, with the players.
0: We, well, first yourself as a, as a, you know, as a, as a head coach and as a staff. How much work are you putting in? And then we'll come to the players after.
1: Yeah, so it, it's a lot, right? In terms of you know putting on the training session as you know and with so many staff it takes a lot of meetings and to be able to coordinate what we want to do then there's a lot of review process whether it's a review of the session whether it's a review of the game whether it's preparing and the strategy for the next game so it just feels like there's a ton of different meetings that take place throughout the day and then you finally leave the training ground late at night and then it's like okay cool i need to do x y and z ready for tomorrow so i find that there's not a lot of downtime um, in the job but that's one thing that i want to try and create a little bit more time for myself and that separation um but being in california now when we do get some days off i'm trying to trying to take up surfing to um uh, oh, nice. yeah so just to relax myself and get some time away and in the water
0: is that you though do you have to um do you have to organize that is that you do you organize that schedule for all those things so you know the analysis meetings and those sort of things is that up to you to organize that all of that or is that put in place for someone else
1: yeah. So, um, you know, we have a head of performance that works with us, um, Rob. So Rob does a lot in terms of like the scheduling around managing the medical team and the sports performance team. Um, so he will take care of a lot of that. And then we meet regularly to um, discuss and to work around, you know, setting new objectives um, and just meeting up to get the progress of with players, whether, you know, the injured players return to play. Um, so we'll have a lot of that. And then coaches, you know, will fall on me more um, so on the technical
0: and, te- and then tell us about these players then, what mean in the modern game at the very highest level, what sort of, what, what sort of stuff and how long are the players doing away from the grass, away from the pitch?
1: Yeah, so, you know, a lot of our players, um, you know, we try and keep the training sessions pretty short and sharp, but a lot of it is around, you know, them looking after their body, you know, whether it's, you know, meals and nutrition, whether it's the gym sessions that they have to do, how long they spend activating um, we've got some in our team that have their own businesses. So then when they finish training, they have to go and devote a few hours to their own business and, uh, and running and managing their, their brand and their business that they've got. Um, so that takes up some time. And then also, you know, certainly with this club, there's a lot more media retention. So there's a lot more player appearances, um, and players having to fulfil sponsor um, opportunities and obligations. So that's certainly something that's been different in the women's game as uh, coming into this club.
0: What about like you know, like individual analysis? Like you know, for example, you know, you're saying okay, we've got a game coming up. How much time is spent on that? You know, maybe you want your centre backs to watch the striker or that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so um, some time spent on that and it varies between the players, whether it's player led and they're coming to you with, you know, these are the clips that I want to go through or whether it's like, OK, you need to come and see me and let's sit down and go through some of this. Um, but, you know, we, we're lucky we've got a great performance analyst that will work with the players um, and perform put a lot of those clips together and then we'll sit down and do some small group meetings um and you know or individual meetings with the players as well as doing you know group film in in the team meeting that's held on a daily basis
0: okay and and what about like individual training? like you know i'm an individual coach what about individual stuff how much time opportunity do you get to work with with them individually and you know in that sort of respect
1: yeah, not as en- enough as we'd want. Um, you know, we're we're lucky. We've got a great technical coach who works with us. Um, and, who's who's, and that, he,
0: who's a technical coach?
1: Um, so Hervey. Right. So he came from Orlando. So he's working yeah. um, with our players, and uh, so we'll do some work mostly after the sessions. But we want to try and sneak some work in beforehand, or if they've got some off days. Um, but, you know, I think it's such an important part of the game. The players are really good at managing it themselves. Um, so they'll often stay after training, um, for extra time and they're either working on, you know, whether it's set pieces or some extra shooting or some extra touches. So they're, they're really good at taking that ownership on. Um, and then we have our coaches that go around and and sort of work with them, but I'd say that, you know, 90% to hundred percent of the team usually stay and do extra on certain days, and uh, we try not to do a ton of it on getting you know, a game day minus one. Mm. Um, and usually they're too tired for on, on the third game day minus three when we're yeah. doing a lot of intensive work. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so important, as you know, in terms of getting that individual development. And even at the age that their players are at and some of the best players in the world, they all stay and do extra and it pays off. Like I, I haven't seen one any of the real elite players and the national team players that I've worked with not do any. It's massive.
0: Well, what's, what's I mean, because obviously a lot of, you know, a lot of coaches will worry that the players are doing too much, you know, and then, you know, there's a lot of talk, you know, that modern players are surrounded by cotton wool, obviously, you know, they're loading and things like that. What's your attitude to that? There's some point you've got to say, look, come on, guys, like you say, if it's a game day, minus one, you've got to come off the pitch or, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? And what's your thoughts on that generally, you know, players doing extras and doing more?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm all about it. I think the players feel prepared. Um, when they have feel like they've ticked every box going into game day in terms of stuff that they need to work on or even just things that they just need to have that maintenance of um you know whether it's the way that they shoot on goal or working on a particular you know that final separation touch whatever it might be that they're they're working on they need to feel like they've prepared and uh, keep mastering it um but there are days where we're like right guys you know that's enough in terms of you've been out here the session has produced this much in terms of the load and the volume um and you know, it, you need to be off the field now, especially in California. Sometimes that heat is like a real part of that in terms of, OK, we know that we've got X amount of hours before we're expected to play. And, yeah, you need to start tapering off and get the time off your feet. So it's getting that balance. But I'm always someone that wants to let the players, you know, go out and do extra.
0: And what about yourself now? Like You know, you're you know an like established name now and, and the highest level. Now you've gone to this massive new club franchise. How do you keep... Um, improving yourself how do you keep at the highest level at the cutting edge and keep improving yourself
1: yeah it's 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 hard to do sometimes because you can get like wrapped up in you know the day-to-day of the club but I think the biggest thing for me is um is making that real effort to do it Um, having conversations with people at work allowing uh, you know the coaches that I've got to lead on areas rather than me saying out you know and being very um, dictatorial in terms of you know it's going to be done like this be like okay show me different ways in which we can approach this and different ways we can do it because it's often that you get great ideas from within a team Um, And then like watching, watching games, like watching Champions League and watching Premier League is, you know, and just seeing how the coaches are are working there, some of the decisions that they're making, reading up on, you know, sometimes when you get all these uh, on social media, when they sort of break down games that they've had and how the coaches have approached it, um, just reading that. And I think that's really interesting. Um, And obviously going and doing my licences not so much in terms of some of that content, but just in terms of the conversations that you have with other coaches that you meet that are at a similar level of development to you. Um, that, that's always really valuable and through that coaches network.
0: Um, um, do you have any like role models in the game, people you look up to and that sort of thing? You,
1: you might laugh at this one, um, but Lee Heron at Arsenal oh, is always Lee. like a, a big, yeah. obviously we both know him, but Please, a big yeah, mentor definitely. to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the top, top guy. And yeah, absolutely. He's, he's top. Absolutely. agree with that one. So yeah, good to Leo. Leo enjoyed that little shout out. Those are listening yeah, to the I podcast. Know. Top right? guy, top coach. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and what about then, you know, in terms of the future, what does the future hold for you? You know, what's your aspirations in the game?
1: Yeah, a great question. I think, you know, the big thing right now is just to keep developing with angel city and, and make the team successful. Uh, we want to be able to achieve some of the goals that we've set ourselves. Um, and for me to just keep, you know, keep learning and keep pushing myself in terms of the style of play, um, and, and getting better and having those feelings of when you walk off the field and it's like, yeah, that, that nailed that today. That was really good. So, you know, having, trying to get towards more of those moments.
0: What would your, like, you know, because it's quite you know incredible inspirational story now that you got there. It's good, you know, you worked really hard. You got to the, you know, you're top of the game now. What would your advice be to a young, aspiring, particularly female coach who wants to break into the game and make it the highest level?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest one is, just keep going through different experiences so you know when I got my opportunities at Reading I was a sports psychologist that came in as a consultant I was doing coaching at that time for Oxfordshire like football in the community at Oxford United um, so it was like keeping you know all different areas of within the game and then I was teaching um, at a university as well so there was everything that I was doing was to make me a better coach it wasn't just time on the grass it was you know knowing about the psychology and understanding some of the theory around coaching so exposing myself to you know different areas of the game that would make me a, a good coach looking for different opportunities like getting involved in Reading you know when I was doing a sports psychology consultancy it was a volunteer then they brought me in on a part-time contract then it was you know part-time contract but coaching as well as doing some of the elite stuff um, and then the biggest thing is you don't always get it right but just keep going. And there's times where you're like, oh, I'm not very good at this or, you know, I struggle or they're really, really good and I'm not like them. And it's like, no one's expecting you to be the finished coach. Like, what is a finished coach? Everyone's still learning every day. So just don't keep making the same mistakes, but keep putting yourself out there. It's- I
0: suppose, yeah, When you and also you say put yourself out You talked about working for free at Reading and then you went to Observe at, uh, you know, at, at Sky Blues and then you got the job, right? I mean, that's obviously, that must be a real... A big lesson learned there, and like say, put out networking, put yourself out there, go and see, and you know, then the opportunities might come.
1: Yeah, and like we, when we were at Sky Blue, um, and then we became Gotham. We had a coach that came in as a volunteer assistant and she was coaching in the evenings and a really, really good coach. But, you know, came in and was like, I just want to volunteer. I just want to be around the game. This is where I want to be. So can I come in just even if it's just collecting cones, putting up footballs. But she was far too talented to be doing that. So we got we got her in. But just that willingness to come and she was willing to do anything possible within the session. And then, you know, we went through that covid time and then it was like right you've got a full-time job with us absolutely brilliant and now she's she's i think she's one of the best coaches in the game um, and in the league over here she's absolutely brilliant but wasn't you know she was willing to do it just to get a foot in the door
0: amazing craig coombs thanks so much and uh, good luck for this season
1: cheers thank you very much
0: thanks for tuning in to the my Personal football Coach.com soccer player development podcast MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Programme is the world's leading online individual technical training programme, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.